0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous
1: program, I was talking about Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, where it says, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And what I was emphasizing in the previous program is this idea of being accursed. This idea comes from the law because our God declared that if you fail to live in obedience to all of the commandments that he gave through Moses, then you would be cursed by God. You either obey all of the commandments and then you are blessed, you'll be blessed by God, he will intervene in your life in order to ensure that you are blessed Or you will fail, in which case he will intervene to make sure that you are cursed. That is the idea of the law. And so when he says, let him be accursed, I really believe that he's talking about the curse that you should receive because of your failure to live in obedience to the commandments that God gave. Now, of course, the purpose for God giving these commandments to begin with, the purpose was to lead a person to the point of despair. He did not give these commandments so that we would know exactly how we're supposed to live our daily lives. He gave those commandments so that we could fail to live this way in our daily lives and so that we would see that we have absolutely no hope outside of His grace and mercy, that we need His grace and mercy. You see, if you have the law You do not need his grace or his mercy. Now, some people think that you can have both, but when they consider that, what they end up believing is that his grace and mercy is what makes up for the difference for when you fall short. That's what his grace and mercy is for. You just do the best you can, and then wherever you fail, well, then, that's what his grace and mercy is for. And I just don't believe that at all. I really don't. I believe that you need all of his grace, you need all of his mercy, and that your maturity as a believer is not going to be measured by you becoming more and more obedient to the commandments of God to the extent where you need very little grace. You may not need any mercy at all. At that point, you don't need Jesus. What kind of a description of maturity in Christ Jesus is that? But unfortunately, by default, that is how a lot of people live, or they tend to live this way, at least in my opinion. That's what I personally see in a lot of people's lives. But that's what I was talking about in the previous program, is that this word accursed means that this person is going to be under the condemnation of God. Now, when he says, let him be... I believe that that is another way of saying that we should just leave these people alone. That if that's how they want to live, if that's how they want to continue in their daily lives, if if you want to do that, if you want to go ahead and devote your life to trying to live in obedience to the commandments of God, then by all means, good for you. You go ahead and do that, and I will just allow you, I will let you Not that I can stop you anyway, but I will just let you be cursed. I will just allow you to live in that existence. I believe that he is saying that, perhaps in a subtle way, but I believe it's still there, that if somebody is troubling you, if somebody comes to you and says that you are not fulfilling the expectations that God has for you, because you are failing to overcome all of the sin in your life, or whatever they have to say about that, then just simply let them be accursed. Leave them to whatever religious life they think they have, and perhaps one day they will truly be committed to what they believe so that they will discover that they are a failure and that they need the grace and mercy of God. Now, at the beginning of this verse, in verse 8, this is Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. What I would like to emphasize right now is this idea that someone else can come and tell you something different from what you heard before. And you know, sometimes people will look at this and they take the position that the first gospel you hear is the right one no matter who you hear it from, the first one you hear is the right one. And so because that's true, which, of course, I don't believe it is, but there are many people who assume that that's true, then if somebody comes and says anything else to you, then that is definitely evil. That is going to lead you to a condition of being cursed. That person who is trying to share something different with you is definitely under the curse of God. How dare they? Whether it be an angel from heaven or anyone, if it's different from what you heard the first time, then it is definitely a lie of the devil. That's what some people believe. Or at least that's how some people look at this verse and that's how they assume we are to read it and how we are to understand it and how we are to live. And if it's not the first one, then it's definitely the one that I told you or that someone else told you. People will take the position that if it's not the first one, then it's definitely the one that they tell you. And if somebody says something that is different from what they told you, well, then that person is to be Under the curse of God. Now, the gospel that I present, which is summarized as sin and death, forgiveness and the restoration of life, is not the same gospel that what other people teach. There are other people who teach something that's close to that. They will teach that you have sin and that you need to be forgiven. And in some ways, I have found that many people will acknowledge that, yes, we are in the condition of being dead and we do need to be resurrected. We do need the restoration of the Holy Spirit. In some cases, people have an understanding of that, even though they may not want to include it in their description of the gospel, so it may not be totally different, but in other cases, it is. It's totally different from what other people believe, and so there are people who will warn you about me, and so I might as well go ahead and warn you as well, I'll contribute to this warning, that I am teaching a different gospel. I am, compared to a lot of other people who teach all kinds of other different gospels. There's lots of different gospels that are available today. And so if that's the case, then why should you be surprised if I teach something different from what other people teach? Because there are differences. There are major differences. But what I want you to consider is just because you heard a gospel the first time, that doesn't necessarily mean that what you heard is correct. It doesn't mean that it's the right one. And just because you heard it from me, or from someone else who seems to be very assertive in how they teach the scriptures, that doesn't mean that they're right either. You need to take some time to look into this yourself, because you are responsible for yourself. If you do not know what the gospel is, and you go before your God in heaven, you are not going to be able to say that it's somebody else's fault. You're not going to be able to defend yourself before the living God by saying that somebody else deceived you with a different gospel or that somebody failed to be committed enough to tell you the gospel. You are responsible for your own salvation in the sense that you must look into these things for yourself and you must eventually take a position and you must be Committed to that position. And I believe that you can be on the basis of the truth. If it is true, then you can commit to it. But if there is any uncertainty that you might have, then don't. Wait until you can find enough evidence to convince you that your God has revealed the truth to you and step out on faith by trusting and relying on whatever He is willing to share with you Believe the gospel and turn to him because I believe, I really do believe, that he will reveal himself to anyone who truly wants to know who he is. So you have to be careful concerning verse 8 because it's very easy to use it in ways that I don't believe Paul intended it to be used for. It's a very important thing to be concerned about. Now again, in verse 9, he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now the first thing I'd like you to understand concerning verse 10 is that if you are going to believe In the Lord Jesus, if you are going to believe the gospel, if you are going to be a servant of the living God, then you're going to have to understand that there are a lot of people who are not going to like you. Religious people are not going to like you. There are lots of people who will not like you, who will be very disappointed, who may even be disgusted. You need to be prepared for this. You need to understand, or at least it's helpful to understand, That if you are going to embrace the gospel, especially in the way that Paul describes, if you're going to embrace his gospel, then you are not only going to be rejected by the world, as in the lost world, you know, those people who don't want to even acknowledge the existence of God at all. You're going to be rejected by them, and you are also going to be rejected by the religious world, Now, what do I mean by the religious world? What I mean by that is that there are people who really believe that we are to live a life of obedience to the commandments of God, we are to obey God, we are to repent from our sins, and listen, I don't think that there's anything wrong with obeying God or repenting from our sins. The problem, though, is that there are people who are not willing to embrace the love and acceptance of God. They are not willing to embrace the love and acceptance of God. That's one issue. And the other issue is, is that they really believe that God will owe them, that God will be indebted to them for their obedience, for their repentance. They also believe that he will reward them for their obedience and for their repentance. They really believe that they can show their appreciation to God for what He did for them by their obedience and repentance. But you see, the problem is is that this is a very deceptive life. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get the sin out of your life. The problem is living in deception. It's living in the illusion, in the dishonesty that a person has to live in because they fail, because they can't do it. That's the issue that I am concerned about. I'm very concerned about that. Because when a person does not live in the love and acceptance of God, they will have to live in the law of God. There is no alternative besides that. And when you live according to the law of God, you will always live a life of failure, of disappointment. You will be an embarrassment to God. He will reject you. All of these things will follow. And then you will live in your own mind, believing that you are cursed by God because of your failure. And this becomes the different gospel. You see, a person may start out with a gospel that may very well be correct, but then they end up with something that looks nothing like what a person believed When they first got saved. For example, a person may believe that you are to come to Christ because he does not hold your sins against you anymore. He loves you. He will save you in the condition that you are in and that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But then the next time you go to church, they're going to tell you that God hates you. He's disgusted with you. you got to get yourself all cleaned up. He does not accept you where you are anymore. He expects something better out of you, and you'd better do it. Or he is going to intervene and curse you in ways that you can't imagine. That's what I mean. Is that you start out with one thing, and you end up with something else. And that's when it becomes a different gospel by default. So what is this different gospel I summarized the differences concerning Paul's gospel and just about everybody else's gospel earlier by explaining that the different gospel includes the law. When an individual includes the law in a believer's life, when an individual says, now that you have been saved, you must live this way, you have to live this way, and while that way may be great, he will hold your sins against you if you don't. Or if you fail, if there is any indication that he holds your sins against you, then you have just negated the gospel, the gospel of forgiveness, to the extent where you now have a different gospel. Now, to believe that your God does not hold your sins against you anymore will separate you from a religious individual. And so you are going to be rejected by the world, and by religion, because the entirety of religion is based on the fundamental principle that your God still holds your sins against you, and they will never be able to accept you unless you agree with that. If you do not agree with that on the basis of the forgiveness of sins that Jesus executed on the cross then they will never be able to accept you. You will always be rejected by them. You will never be pleasing to them. There will never be a place for you there, and you will be alone, with the exception, perhaps, of a few believers here and there that the Lord may be gracious to allow you to interact with as you continue to grow in your relationship with Him, which is what He has truly called us to. Now, in verse 10, he says, for do I now persuade men or God? Now, this is a very subtle question, a very subtle and yet very powerful and insightful question. Because if you look at this closely, he says, do I persuade men or do I persuade God? Why would someone consider trying to persuade God? I mean, what kind of a life is that to try to persuade God? Well, it's Very easy to recognize this if you know what the life of an individual will look like if they believe that God holds their sins against them. If an individual believes that their God holds their sins against them in any way whatsoever, if that is found within their convictions, if that is found within their beliefs, then eventually their relationship with their God will be on the basis of them trying to persuade God. That's what it's going to look like again. If an individual believes that God holds their sins against them in any way whatsoever, then eventually their Christian life, their religious life, their life of faith is going to have within it a very important component, and that is that they must find ways to persuade God. That's the subtlety of what Paul says here. And of course, because he does not have to live that way, trying to persuade God about anything, he has been set free to persuade men, as opposed to trying to persuade God. Now, why would I say something like this? I mean, Where would I get this from? Why would I suggest that an individual would eventually live a life of trying to persuade God? Well, in many ways, this comes from experience. Sometimes you have to spend a lot of time with individuals who really believe that this is how God relates to them in order to see the connection between this is how God relates to them and so that they now must relate to him in a persuasive way. Let me give you some things to look for. The subject of prayer. Now, of course, I did a study on the subject of prayer, several hours of content that I recorded on the topic of prayer. I have a lot to say about it. I really do. And I believe it's worth listening to. Please take the time to do that. I have a lot to say about it. But this is one thing that I would like to say right now, and that is that there are many people who believe that the Christian life is about trying to persuade God through prayer, that we must move the hand of God, that we must do whatever it takes in order to get God to respond so that he will intervene and do things in a divine way, miraculously in our lives and in the lives of others, that that's what the Christian life is about. It's about getting the hand of God to move in such a way that he will intervene in the pain and sufferings of this life. Now, of course, I do believe in prayer. I believe in it. I believe in talking with the Lord about the sufferings and the burdens of life, and I believe that he will intervene at times. I believe that he will respond to our pleas. I don't have a problem with that at all. But this is an indicator in many people's lives. This is an indicator that they do not believe in the complete forgiveness of sins, They believe that God holds their sins against them. This is an indicator because what they will do is they will start out by confessing all of their sins, getting right with God, getting the sin out of their lives. They believe there are many people who believe that if they meet certain criteria concerning the sin in their life, concerning their confessions concerning their obedience to God, concerning the things that they do on his behalf, they believe that through these things, he will hear our prayers and he will respond. And in that way, it can be an indicator That an individual believes in a different gospel than what the Apostle Paul described because they are going to live their lives trying to persuade God. And how do they persuade God? By overcoming the sin in their lives, by being obedient to God, by being repentant, by doing those things that are good and not doing those things that are evil. Eventually, they will be so influential because they will have the eye of God on them, and so they will have influence, and they will be able to persuade him to act on their behalf. He will respond to their pleas. He will intervene in whatever way that a person asks. That is an indication that an individual does not understand the forgiveness of sins. They do not believe that God does not hold their sins against them anymore. And what they create because of their failure to believe the truth is, in effect, a different gospel. And this becomes their life. Their life becomes a life of persuading God, of trying to persuade him because they are living a better life than what they were living before, and he should honor that, he should respond to that. That is the subtlety of what Paul says here, that he is not going to be consumed with trying to persuade God like these other people are going to have to be, because there is no way, according to their beliefs, that God will move in their lives, that he will intervene, in their lives to bless them for their obedience. He will not intervene because they are not persuasive enough through their obedience to his commandments. These are the subtleties of what he's talking about, that these other people who he is speaking about are people who have to live this way. They have to. Listen, if your God is ashamed of you because you are not living a holy life, because you are not obedient as you believe He wants you to be, then He's not going to bless you according to the law. He is going to curse you. So if you are going to have any interaction with Him at all, if He is ever going to relieve you of the curse or indulge you with blessings, then you're going to have to persuade Him in some way. You're going to have to do that. And the only way that you can do that is through your pursuit of the law. Now, would Paul know about this? Would he understand this? Absolutely. Because his whole life was based on this. His whole life was consumed with being obedient to the commandments of God so that he would be blessed in return. It was completely based on the philosophy of pleasing God of persuading God through your lifestyle, through the way that you live, through your holiness. His whole life was based on persuading God, and so he would know exactly what that was about. He would know exactly where this would lead an individual. And so for him to say this means a lot because he lived a life of persuading men and of persuading God in a religious context. But he knew what the new life in Christ is truly about and that he could be set free from not only persuading men to like him because of how he lived or persuading God to like him because of the way that he lived. But now he can be at peace because of what Jesus did for him so that he can now be set free and he can now be devoted to persuading men to believe the gospel To believe in what God has already done for them, instead of being so consumed with what they think they're going to be able to do for him, so that they can begin to participate in the work that God is doing. Now, you are surrounded by religious people who live their lives persuading God, or trying to persuade God, by how they pray, by how they live by how they try to get the sin in their life under control. There are all kinds of ways that people live in order to persuade God according to their laws. And their laws can be defined in various ways in terms of the principles for daily living or just the simple standards of what is right and wrong. And it always comes down to the same thing. And that is that God holds your sins against you when you fail. To live up to these expectations. Now, if you begin to rest in what your God has done for you, if you rest in Christ Jesus and begin to live a life of thankfulness, then those religious individuals who you are surrounded by, more than likely, are going to reject you. They are not going to be pleased with you. They are not going to be excited about the freedom, the liberty, and the rest that you experience in your heart by trusting and depending on what Jesus has done for you. And so if you are going to rest in Christ Jesus, then be prepared for the rejection that you will experience, as Paul said at the end of verse 10, for if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast.